Hello, and welcome to Blood, Sweat, and Careers, the podcast where we discuss multi-hyphenates, dig deep into hustle culture, and find hobbies to stay off of Santa's naughty list. We're your hosts, Austin and Mallory. Yay! Hello! Hello! Welcome back. There's just two of us this week. I know. It's a little sad. (laughs) We are one short, but we are two strong. TWO. Catherine is away this week, and we are sad to not have her, but she will be back next week. Never fear. Catherine will be here. She will. Next week. Multi-hyphenates are busy, busy people. (laughs) I am Austin Mark, juvenile delinquent and human Build-A-Bear. And I'm Mallory Kaufman, big sister and tiny dancer. Does everyone love these fake jobs that we give every week? (laughs) I don't even care because I do. (laughs) I I love them (laughs) so much. Feels like it kicks it off. (laughs) I have a giant list and I won't give any more of them away. But (laughs) I've got (laughs) jobs on jobs on jobs that I (laughs) plan to pretend to have for the rest of the time that we do this. My favorite part, too, is when you actually pepper in something you've done legitimately. <laughs> and it either A, shocks me, or B, is just a strange name for something that I had no idea was a part of your history. Yeah, like actual preschool teacher, actual lifeguard, actual chocolatier, which I think was my my trio for episode one. Yeah, and I was actually a spark of love coordinator. So. That's true. Hey, girl. Get <laughs> at her. Get it. <laughs> So this week, like every week, we are here to talk about multi-hyphenates. And what we like to do is talk about somebody in the multi-hyphenate world. And we don't always like to talk about actor, dancer, singers, because we do so much more than that. And this week, I wanted to talk about Koya Webb. Koya is an internationally recognized yoga teacher, a celebrity holistic health coach, an author, a speaker, a vegan activist... So she's definitely a multi-hyphenate because she's doing all the things. And she actually started out as an Olympic runner. And after an injury, she kind of got into this holistic wellness world. And a lot of times it's, I'll be honest, it was hard to find people of color in the wellness world because... It's something we talk about. That's kind of why we wanted to shine the spotlight too, because in this conversation coming up, we talk about the whiteness of wellness. Yeah, we've got an interview. We felt it. <laughs> we were searching for <laughs> we were wellness gurus. Um, yeah. And Sequoia is awesome. She wrote a book called Let Your Fears Make You Fierce. And it I feel like it really ties into this multi-hyphenate and definitely imposter syndrome topic that we've covered again and again. And I think she's this book is awesome because it is all about kind of confronting those fears and bringing them to a positive place. And them. and she has a podcast too. You have been listening, haven't you? I have. And you know, I love a good podcast. It's something I have in my bio. Shout out any good ones, anybody. I love a new podcast. And Koya's is called Get Loved Up. She's been recording now, it looks like for over a year. I'm brand new to the pod, um, but there's a plethora of episodes there for me to indulge in. Um, and I have already listened to two. I'm gobbling them up, but they're really interesting. And I just, her 
conversation typically hinges as Austin was just describing on her space in this wellness world, but it feels like an activist podcast in some ways. It's definitely a space where I feel like I'm listening to people that are deeply enriching to my life and teaching me things I either didn't know or reinforcing things that maybe I've chosen not to heed. So I'm really enjoying it and highly recommend. Awesome. Yeah. And she is also, she's, kind of a big deal in the wellness world uh, in her own right. She works with Stevie Wonder, India Ari, P. Diddy, Ashley Judd. So she's incredibly successful. She's a very cool multi-hyphenate. So please do check out her podcast and her book. We'll have links to those in the show notes. And like Mallory said, we have a, a talk coming up. We did an interview a couple days ago with my good, good friend, Kate McKiernan. She's the owner of her own candle company called Bridges Burnt, which I love. And it was also a really good time to bring her on because she just had an article published on thirstymag.com. Kate is a copywriter for The Blend, which is a, it's a resource that was created by the international booze conglomerate Beam Suntory. And she wrote this article about Focus on Health, which is a resource for people in the service industry who need therapy services or mental health services, and just a, a focus on mental well-being and work-life balance. Yeah, we weave together a lot of disparate pieces, but it felt like we walked away with this amazing conversation that tied together a growth mindset as a multi-hyphenate. Kate's reflective on her you know, decades of being a multi-hyphenate as well as a discussion on wellness and the whiteness of wellness even and a lead into the mental health and how, you know, I think something that you and I both (laughs) really truly live and breathe, which is how to balance being a multi-hyphenate, a go-getter, trying to do as much as possible while also remaining sane while doing it. The multi-hyphenate burnout is real and the service industry burnout is really real. So that was a huge part of our conversation that we had with Kate and we're excited to share it with you. So without further ado, let's turn it over to the interview. Yay! So Kate, you and I actually have known each other for a really long time and we met each other doing makeup, but I feel like when we met doing that, you were sort of already, you were already kind of a multi-hyphenate and had a lot of other (laughs) irons in the fire and makeup was sort of your backup gig at the time. Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I've been a multi-hyphenate since about 1992, as far as I can tell. (laughs) So I I feel like you probably were already familiar with the term multi-hyphenate as a theater person, if that's not like an offensive (laughs) description. Listen, if it's accurate, is it offensive? (laughs) I'm sure it was something that, you know, you were aware of. I have a a BFA in acting. So like, if you're going to take theater nerd to an extreme, I have done it. Perfect. Yes. I went to conservatory, the whole, I ran a theater company in Los Angeles, the whole nine yards of oh nerd my gosh. that's <laughs> successful nerd at that well sure I the 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 theater company could on certain days be called successful that's the best we're hoping for in most of our situations <laughs> yeah. on a, on any given day ask me I'll tell you if I'm successful 
I, I didn't even understand what in return on investment was in the theater world. It was like you just pour money into theater and then yeah. hope that you can like pay for the set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and creativity comes out. <laughs> <laughs> on the backs of volunteers. <laughs> I love that. So we've known each other for almost 10 years or about 10 yeah. years. So like 2010-ish, where was your multi-hyphenate story at that time? So I had been a makeup artist um, slash theater producer, writer, actor, shenanigans when I moved to Los Angeles in 1997. In 2010, I was coming to the end of my makeup artistry reign (laughs) (laughs) and I was moving into hospitality. So um, at that point, I, I was working as a director of operations assistant and for a eight venue restaurant group in Los Angeles. I was still doing a little bit of makeup on the side. I was still doing a little bit of theater on the side, but that transition was a very big one when I finally did leave real retail cosmetics as a full-time job. Yeah, I feel like I remember at the time that we started working together infrequently as we did, that you were working at one restaurant or another. And I know you were sort of transitioning out of the world that we were both in at the time. Yeah, I'm really good at getting part-time jobs on top of my full-time jobs. And so I think that we actually met when I was working like mornings at (laughs) at restaurants, like doing inventory and cash handling. And then my afternoon evenings were spent at Saks Fifth Avenue, Beverly Hills. (laughs) We were very fancy. I was very fancy. I swore that my first book was going to be called Plus One. (laughs) Because I always was, I I was always a plus one. (laughs) I, I walked red carpets in, in my glory days, but as no one, right. just as plus one. <laughs> That's most of LA's lived existence is something to that effect. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you get to do really special yeah. things a lot of times. You're nobody. But like you're yeah. opening a limited express. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it exciting? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I think back and I'm like, it's like peeking behind the curtain at Oz, you know? It's like we saw how the message mm-hmm. was made. And so it yep. kind of, the sheen, I don't know. It's like a funny thing. Like it's fun to tell the stories maybe and look back, but you also know the behind the scenes of it all. Especially like in my 20s when I was doing a lot more of my plus oneing, I was I was so desperate to not be a plus one. I was so desperate to make the leap into the next thing that I don't think I even enjoyed being a plus one. Like I was just so like angsty and anxious to jump into success, quote unquote. And I think that most of my 20s were spent anticipating versus be here now stuff that I've kind of learned over the years. <laughs> like living in that moment that you want to live in really occurred for me later in my 30s. It's so ironic. Like when you're young and vibrant and all the things, <laughs> it's like when you cannot wait yeah. to speed up the time. And you for sure like, when you fit into that mini skirt and yet yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. uh, <laughs> but you could you wanted to do anything but whatever you were doing. For sure. Oh my god, that resonates for me a hundred and ten percent. I feel like it's a really big part of the Los Angeles story, and not that this is like an LA podcast, but mm-hmm. we've all lived there and I think a big part of it is 
because it's such a big city and there are so many people putting on airs of success and happiness and what's going on in their lives, particularly now with social media. I think it's so almost impossible not to compare yourself to everybody else around you and feel like I haven't made it yet because it looks like everybody else around me has. So many people are just in the exact same place of trying to figure it out. But it's also so expensive to be there. And in most big cities, like the sense of security just isn't there until you're sort of exiting your 20s, if you're lucky. Well, and I think that what we're told, especially coming out of school, is like how fast you can get someplace. You're encouraged to compare yourself to others. The 30 under 30, you, you know stuff. I mean, I don't even know who I am now, but I definitely know myself better as a 46-year-old than I did as a 26-year-old. And I think that the, that those growing pains and the success pressure that happens in those in especially in like mid to late 20s is incomparable. Honestly, what you just said, I wish I was smart enough to have retained where I saw this or where I heard this, but it was almost that exact same sentiment like did I send it to you, Austin, that there's just, there's no 60 under 60 list because we're all valuing the speed of success. You know what it was? It was a meme. And now I'm very embarrassed, but it was a great meme. <laughs> like, Where we learn all of life's right? greatest like, lessons. Are you guys, did you, you, know, did you get that one? Um, but it basically cited Kamala Harris as an example of just somebody who found love at like 49, got married at 50, is 56, hitting like her career high. Joe Biden's like almost 80 years old, about to be president. Like success can come later and for good reason a lot of the time. Like, and yet there are no 60 under 60 lists being like, look at Kamala, she's almost there. Right. <laughs> and- because of the absurgence of the, the gig economy and multi-hyphenate, you kind of have to be Leonardo da Vinci. You kind of have to have your finger in a lot of different things. And so it is those few people who are doing one thing that are on those lists. Right. Where the bulk, I think, of people are actually selling makeup in Beverly Hills, running a godforsaken theater company in Burbank. Not to be specific. <laughs> but no, it's fine. <laughs> but like, I think that the bulk of people are doing multiple options to their to their pathway, and that and that's why that there is such a rarity. Like you know, Psalms like so many guys get food and wine thirty under thirty. I'm just like, well, you've done only mm -hmm. that, right? Like you've de dedicated your whole life to that one mm -hmm. thing. And I, I mean, and, and all of us really have never done that. We've always been juggling a hundred things. There's a, a great book about that too, just about how we're kind of considered generalists. And there's a reason why that can be taxing and exciting and all the things. And we definitely need specialists. You know, we're in a pandemic. We need scientists. We need the people that have dedicated their entire life to figuring out how they're going to make the vaccine for this one occurrence. Thank you. We appreciate you greatly. But to your point, that is a smaller percentage of people and it's shrinking by the day, it seems, just because of the way the world is. But also I think like to your point that there's just not a great system of getting out there and being the top dog. So you kind of have to put your eggs in a couple different baskets if you wanna succeed. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. So I like to ask this question 
to give kind of a perspective of where people end up versus where they thought they would end up. What did you think in 2010 or 2001? What were your early career aspirations? What did you want to be when you grew up? I assumed that I would eventually be in a writer's room on a television drama. Nice. <laughs> and hilariously, none of my career paths went towards that at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I still assumed that that is absolutely what was going to just drop from the heavens at some point. <laughs> but I think that, I think I went through a couple of different phases. I think that I went from graduating from theater school thinking that I was going to be an actor for the rest of my life to translating that into a makeup career because that was useful in my theater career. But what I ended up being really good at in makeup was inventory. Oh. <laughs> so that transitioned me into hospitality, actually, because I really understood what inventory was and 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 loss on that level. And so a, a friend of mine was like, I need you to do inventory for eight restaurants in your time off. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't know how to measure booze. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but most of the things when you're in those growth transitional phases, you don't know what you're doing. You just have to do mm -hmm. it. Um, <laughs> and then I thought that I was going to be the general manager of a fine dining restaurant in Los Angeles for the rest of my life. That was how it was going to go down. I think that also in there, I got married and I was going to be a wife for the rest of my life too. And that changed as well. <laughs> so, so the assumptions that I, like I would say in 2010, I was going to be the general manager of my own somehow partnered restaurant with maybe my husband and it was going to be very familial and fine dining and all this stuff. And then, I mean, that relationship ended in 2016 and my relationship with hospitality changed in 2016. And so I had to shift all of that. Today in 2020, I mean, in pandemic world, I'm now a full-time social media writer and a candle maker, which makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> All of this to say, make no assumptions. Well, it's an incredible journey that you've been on. And it was one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast was because you have come to this very interesting intersection of careers that like the writing part, I knew about you from when we met. The candle thing is obviously new, but it's a great combination and it's interesting. And like, I love both of these things for you. The candle company, particularly, I love it, speaks <laughs> to a lot of things about me. Well, I think the candles, I think the candles are my theater now. Yeah. When you're a restaurant manager, you have your phone literally like soldered to your hand. In my restaurant management years were distracted. I was just nothing but distracted. I was constantly worried and stressed about tomorrow and whatever was happening next. And the pressure was intense. The hours were long. There was not enough sleep, all of those things. And I read a lot of books. I read probably between 50 and 60 books a year. And when I was managing restaurants, I couldn't read. 
And so I knew that part of me was dying. (laughs) I couldn't do theater. I couldn't like, even when I was working at Saks, I would take groundlings classes or like, um, I Steppenwolf West has a bunch of classes in Los Angeles. And I took a bunch of classes from, I would always have some other thing going when you manage a restaurant, you can't do anything else. I think candles actually are an outcropping of that creative outlet because it's something that I do without my phone. I turn on my music. I have to use both hands <laughs> so I can't text while I'm <laughs> doing candles. <laughs> Sorry, candle making. Get back to you later. Exactly. I'm 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 off limits. Like it is something that I can't interact digitally with at all. And please do plug your candle company. Oh, yes. BridgesBurton.com. They are glassware candles that are named after things I'd like to burn down. Literally, it's worth searching the site. I spent, I think I've already said this to you, but I'll say it to whoever is listening. Go search the site because the names are hilarious and they get better as you scroll. And my question on a non-very journalistic path here, but is, do you think about the what the candle is in because that's also something worth describing they seem to all be unique whether it's cup teacups or yeah wine glasses or something unique with the name like do you let the cup so to speak inspire the name a little bit I I wish I were I wish I were as organized as having the scent the vessel and the name all in the same motif Uh But unfortunately, that hasn't. One day, it will all come together. But right now, I I find glassware that appeals to me. It is just that simple. I love old things. I love teacups. I love um, stealing old china from Austin's mother. Story. I like <laughs> freely given. I, I think that it's a it's kind of. We don't use glassware the same way, even in a restaurant, even in the the finest of finest dinings, like everything is very clean and it's not ornate and it's not, um, it's it's utilitarian in a certain way. And the glassware that we have in our houses, we don't have a set of China when we get married anymore. Like it's, it's a different way of having things, but there are all these things out there. And so I buy up Royal George teacups and like, crazy, weird stuff that people just put in boxes years ago. And I think it's really fun to upcycle all of that stuff. That's so cool. So that was kind of where it started because I just liked the things. And then the then the names came after that because I wanted to burn things down and I needed an outlet to <laughs> express <laughs> express my my derision about this life. <laughs> And then, and that's also by writerly self. And then the fragrances kind of came third. And now the fragrances are kind of what's pushing the business forward. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love your stuff. I am like so drawn to all of it and it appeals to my wry sense of humor. And I still, I did, I've been doing it for a year and I'm still learning. I'm still learning about taking pictures. I'm still learning about, you know, wick sizes. I'm still learning about, the glue that holds the wicks down, you know, I learn like, I learn something new on every, every time I make candles. So it's, it's just a never ending process. And then, and then there's the whole marketing side of things and building a website and like teaching myself how to build a business and, um, oh my God, what am I going to do about taxes? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, 
2020, we just don't have to pay, yeah. right? <laughs> but like, like all of the these these different pe- puzzle pieces increase my skill set to a certain extent, and so that's also interesting. Well, I know another piece of the puzzle that we had discussed in our sort of pre-interview time was the idea of networking and how that has continually come back and brought you into paths in your career that you wouldn't have necessarily expected to get into. But just that kind of human interaction side. I think that the bridges that don't burn bridges, except my company's called Bridges Burnt. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm a living monument to my own ridiculousness. But I think that I've interviewed with strangers and been hired for one job of 20 jobs that I've had. And every night of the 19 other jobs that I've had, it has been because I have a friend or an acquaintance, but mostly friends that are like, oh, Kate can do that and just throws me into the deep end. And I think that that that's key. I mean, between hospitality gigs, I would do makeup because I could drop that dime and and call a friend and say, hey, I need work. And she would bring me on at $27 an hour, which you just can't right. get, you know, <laughs> and I could call, you know, all of the people, the, my current jobs, my candle business was foundationally supported by all my friends. And that's how I got to do more. The, the candles that I created for the garden center down the street and for this new luxury camping experience are all because someone recommended me. And my writing gigs are all, I mean, one of my major writing gig is from the woman who hired me to take inventory at her restaurants in LA 11 years ago. (laughs) So like the keeping those people close is key, but also like, those are the jobs that I want. I want to work with my Mm -hmm. friends. I want to make that connection where I trust them and that makes the job easier and I can be more enthusiastic about it. So that it makes it fun to go to or stay home at. (laughs) As the case is in 2020. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that struck both or all of us when we were talking before too, was this, the journey that you've been on, as you've already explained, you've been a multi-hyphenate basically since you exited the building um, with your BFA. Um, (laughs) And I think the curiosity that I have is how to balance this kind of gregarious personality that you have, the ability to, it sounds like, kind of stay positive and be optimistic, searching, finding the opportunities, meeting the right people in a very organic way, but then also sort of balancing that with being healthy and making sure you're happy and knowing when it's okay to leave a gig or if you're fired from a gig. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I guess my question will be as long as your answer probably, but you also have written an article that sort of touches on some of these pieces too. And it seems like when you were talking that work-life balance, mental health, these are all things that maybe at 26, you cared nothing about and were leaning heavily on your personality, et cetera, but are now arriving at how critical that is and kind of reflecting back. And it seems like it'd just be fun to hear you reminisce, but also look forward to kind of where you are. One of the restaurants that I was a general manager at, when they fired me, they said, you aren't the person we hired. And it hurt. Oof. Yeah. 
oof, it hurts. And what I gleaned from that is that I dealt with their interview process, which was extensive. It was like almost like two and a half months of of interviewing to get this position. I was like super excited, super enthusiastic, very much like my natural positive self. And as soon as I was back on a 70 hour work week, I was exhausted and not making strong decisions. And because I was back in a 70 hour work week, my marriage was suffering. It had other problems too, but so now I had personal problems. So, so the pylon was five months long. I was, I, I was fired from that position after six months and it made perfect. It makes perfect sense to me now. At the time, it was just heartbreaking yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, I'm trying so hard, yeah. but it doesn't work if it's not if you're not taking care of yourself, and if and if everything is is going down the tubes, then you need to reprioritize. So that's a lot about what I write about um, in social media and for the Thirst Magazine article. Um, front of health, uh, focus on health is a, um, it, it, they are FOH, which is front of house. <laughs> I like that. Focus on health is a, is a group of really awesome women who are talking about work-life balance and hospitality, and they are doing the heavy lifting for sure. I just talked, I just wrote what they're doing <laughs> um, to be fair, but work-life balance in hospitality is damn near impossible Mm. because there is just no room for error and there's no room for sleep and there's a lot of booze. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's kind of a a, a volatile little bomb. So figuring out how to plan and how to step away and look at your week and make time for you, scheduling time so that you can be a partner to to another person, a good dog mom, mm-hmm. you know, get yourself off the tools for an hour a day. It seems almost obvious, but no one does it. And I think that I very much learned from that experience is that I went in like a shark just trying to eat the job mm-hmm. when I should have really taken it, what I'd said in the interviews about inspiration and team building and worked on that versus just wrestling it to the ground. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, and I think that that's, the heartbreaks are just as important as the successes too. I mean, my divorce put me in a coma for like a year um, and I had to figure out how to make money and leave Los Angeles and move to Chicago and figure just getting dog food and cake food. (laughs) (laughs) Like some of the simplest things and therapy, like how, how to manage myself wasn't going to come from entirely me. I mean, the, the actions in the end were, but I had a team of friends and the therapist who were absolutely the the key to all of those transitions. So I guess my point is because I came from 10 years of not doing any work-life balance, rebalancing myself was also a process mm-hmm. and not like a two-week, 
um, stay at an ashram. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I guess I think the thing I'm trying to draw out too that just seems so resonated with me when you said it, and it feels critical to the conversation we're having about being a multi hyphenate is what can draw you into that lifestyle, what can make you good at it, can also be what makes it horribly difficult if you're not careful. And that I think is the drive, the personality, the ability to learn quickly and find answers when you had none previously. But that's a little bit of a slippery slope. And it, I just think that you seem at a place where you're you're kind of able to see both sides still. You're still very much a multi-hyphenate and doing that, but you're also not so young that you're like, whatever, 20 hours of sleep, 19 hours of sleep, that's, you know, I mean, sorry, of work, yeah. that's not crazy. Yeah. I'll do that. Who needs sleep? Sleep when you're dead. I think that kind of actually coming back to the beginning of our conversation, the rat race of, you know, com- comparisons and and su- success, quote unquote, push you to say yes to anything. So, you know, like, when you're in a job interview, you are going to be on, you know, a thousand percent. Is that something that you can deliver? And is that something that you, is that job a place that is safe for you to try? Mm -hmm. And so I think that my gregariousness, my, I can talk my way, I can sell whatever to whoever. (laughs) I'll sell kabuki brushes all day long. I've watched you do that. I'll sell the big brush, okay? <laughs> um, but I, but I'm a talker, and so I have to make sure that my body and my mind can deliver. I am absolutely the person that you know writes checks that my ass <laughs> can't cash, and I've had to learn how to tone that down and create manageable expectations, not only for for the people that I'm working for, but for myself. Yeah, that's the key, I think. Because I I I'm my I mean I got written up once for not locking the restaurant at night. Oof. The front door was wide open. Oh, no, nobody came in. Nothing was stolen. We, it was fine. And after like, but I'm like red and like tears are just like on the brink. And like two hours after this like write up, I turned to my GM and good friend. And I'm like, I just have to say, I'm so sorry. And she's like, you are 17 times tougher on yourself than we ever could be. It's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> and that I think that also is part and parcel to this multi-hyphenate thing. You have to be like so on yourself because you've got so many balls in the mm-hmm. air. There's a lot of self-pressure. Yeah. So how are you alleviating that? Because if you're not... Well, I was thinking when you said that the interview process for that job was like two and a half months long, and I'm just going back in my head of like all the job interviews that I've done and who I've desperately attempted to be in those 15, 20 minute interviews. And when you drag that out over months, like how do you have any idea who you are at the end of that after Mm -hmm. trying to mold yourself into the expectation that you think somebody has of you? Yeah. It's really, really hard. I'd gotten fired from the previous job too. (laughs) So... (laughs) You have to. Um, But hospitality fires people. I mean, they just don't around like there's just they're they're not like let's put you on a 30 60 90 no they're just like um we gotta uh, um (laughs) please leave but 
<laughs> well, and they like they had lost funding on a on a new restaurant, and so they didn't have budget for the the you know the role that I had wheedled myself into that I also was not qualified to do. <laughs> so like it was on one of those breaks. I mean, I was working for uh, NARS with you, Austin, on between, and I like I interviewed for that position like all three months. I was unemployed. Wow. So just by the time I was getting my head back on my shoulders, I threw myself right back into it. Well, I think it's an interesting place where you've come to now, speaking of taking care of yourself and the self-help aspect, is that you also are a copywriter for sort of self-help social media. Wellness and and yeah, I mean, like I, I basically help life coaches and therapists write their social media. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you glean a lot. Um, <laughs> Osmosis. Yeah, exactly. You pick up a little bit here and there. And I think that now my therapist wants me to be a therapist. I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> the next journey. He's like, you just need the, the the letters after your name, and then you can tell people exactly how to live. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that it's also a slippery slope to uh, white lady privilege, too. So we have to be careful about how we talk about wellness and self-care and work-life balance, because where I have the ability to create boundaries and to take time for myself now, mm -hmm. Not everybody has that opportunity. People are raising kids and holding down hourly positions. Mm -hmm. And so I really try to mold that writing that I'm doing to an authentic place of, can you take a moment? Can you, can you like step away for a second? Can you go for a walk? Can you not bring your phone? Mm -hmm. So that it's not all a spa. Right or a 17 hour sound bath that costs a thousand dollars. And especially like mental health therapy is expensive and our insurance and healthcare system is broken. Yes. And so I, I always want to like point out that self-care can sometimes be equivalent to privilege Absolutely. and, and that we always, always need to make sure that our arms are open versus pointing. So, yeah, I mean, but again, there is a way to incorporate better well-being and and time for families and time for creating strategies to attack this problem of 14 jobs at a time. That's super wise. And I think I really appreciated that you kind of walked us through that just now too, because I do... I think it's not lost on me either, especially as a white woman, how wellness has was a buzzword and now it's taken on this almost kind of like cynical side to it of what you've just explained where there is immense privilege and almost a re-commodization of what wellness is. So you have to buy the the cream or the the thing. You have to eat this, that. You have to take that pill. You need these leggings. You need whatever it is. And there's certainly, you know, be it maybe whiteness, but certainly privilege to all of that. I mean, you can, you can look at wellness through the lens of fat shaming. You can look at wellness through the lens of racial justice. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's goop kind of... <laughs> Like, took us to a whole new level of commercialization. And I think that it's it's just Im important to not lose the main gig, which is mental health. Mm -hmm. 
and keeping it together so that there's a little time and space not to fall apart. <laughs> For sure. Or fall apart or give, but give yourself space to do that. I think the pandemic has, you know, obviously opened so many things up and, and just made them obvious in ways that maybe were feeling less, uh, we didn't have time for them or whatever before. But I think that what you're describing is huge. Like in the last nine months, the whole world basically had to take a look at systems, organizations, and it didn't matter. The pandemic has shown that it doesn't matter what your religious background is, your gender, your skin tone, your wealth, doesn't matter you can get this thing. And so to kind of be able to reframe wellness through these last nine months has also been really helpful because I think it's come a little more background to what you're saying, which is, do you have time to read a book at night instead of watch a TV show or the news that's going to make you anxious? Do you have time to stand up and stretch because you're a bank teller and you can't, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that when you're scrolling through Instagram and seeing these really cool, like infographics, I love a good infographic. We just can't lose sight of that's a bullet of information and what lives under it is a master's degree in psychology <laughs> or uh, or a master's degree in in women's studies or you know what i mean like so so we just have to make sure that we're getting these tiny doses and we we need to make sure that we're that we're aware that there's a deeper well and on the other end the receiving of the bullet so to speak you're there's a whole life being lived behind that so you've got your talking sure. to in kind of large terms but your life, my life, Austin's life are all very different and to some extent. Yeah. And so how do we apply it? And can we? I mean, in Chicago right now, the pandemic is a huge, huge issue. And so like the, this is a, this is a time to like come together and really look at and, and look at the social structures of, you know, our cities and the black and brown people that are suffering more from COVID and, what essential workers are experiencing. It's all a lot right now. It's all a bunch. And so there's also, we can't solve it maybe today. It's not a one day war either. We have to like get up tomorrow and find some more things to do and then take another nap. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do it again. (laughs) It can be very overwhelming. I think something that ties into what both of you are saying and what we have said several times now on the podcast, this multi-hyphenate thing and this life thing where you're finding security and like where you're feeling okay about where you are in whatever portion of your career you're working on. As far as self-care goes, there's always going to be like this thing out there of this crystal or this pill or this drink or this ritual that you're going to do that's going to make it all better. And all of those things can help, but none of those things are the thing. None of those things are the magic answer to like, now it all feels okay. It's so much more complicated than that. Well, and I think that, and I think that that's why like what focus on health is doing is so important because there's really speaking to the hospitality industry as, as a group of professionals who don't have some of the access to some of the things. And so meditation and yoga 
and and a good planner and resources in every city that can supply sliding scale therapy. These are some of the actions that we can take that are in front of us. And what I find is the pattern for me is I just need to get closer and closer to my core to get to that place of balance and centeredness. Mm -hmm. So outside objects are probably not my best access point. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, you are making candles that I feel like have this hilarious connection to comfort, especially for me where I'm like, light the candle and you'll feel better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's also a great way to um, focus energy, Mm -hmm. you know, smudging your place with that, you know, sage bomb. Um, is one way, yeah. or you can light yeah. my candle and really talk about that colleague that's driving you insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and do a little witchy, a, a little witchy meditation to let that pass through you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> the smell, the ritual of candles, all of it. I feel mm-hmm. like you're speaking right. To well, my... fire in general is such an amazing element. So I just like, I'm a Leo, man. Light it on fire. Watch it burn. Yeah. Indeed. So Kate, where can our listeners find you in all of the places that you would like to be found? Well, first and foremost, bridgesburnt.com. That is where all of the candles live. You can also find me on Instagram at bridgesburnt. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. But if you go to my website, you can click through to my Instagram. And then I'm also, uh, I do like photography and ridiculousness on K8 McKiernan on Instagram as well. Perfect. And we will we'll link your article and your social stuff in the show notes for anybody so we can find you there. I just want to thank you so much for being a part of this and taking the time to talk about your careers multiple with mm-hmm. us. And it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. That conversation was, again, to reiterate, great. And I think, Austin, you and I wanted to save a little time just to debrief and bring it back. Um, And I'm excited to kind of hear your afterthought, so to speak. I know we've mentioned we recorded this a few days ago. So we've had some time to let Kate's wisdom really simmer in the mind. And I was really excited by all the places this conversation went. Me too. I mean, it wasn't, I was not expecting a lot of the turns that we took. And I was, again, so glad to have Kate and I learned things about her and it just, it really brought up a lot for me and thinking about my time in the service industry and the toll that that took out of me. and how I had this desperate need for a work-life balance, but because I was young and driven and, you know, terrified, I kind of just kept up with everything and didn't give myself the space to have that type of balance in my life. And it probably caused burnout sooner than it should have and definitely (laughs) led me to be fired more often than I wish (laughs) that I had been. Definitely think that there were pieces of the conversation that I, as you just said, wasn't necessarily expecting for us to get out of, you know, talking to a candle maker and art makeup artist and hospitality expert. But what I loved especially was how we wove in 
the mental health with this kind of reality check on what it can mean to be having a conversation about wellness on the one hand, as well as multi-hyphenates on the other. I think when we talk about hospitality industry, we're already broadening that umbrella. We're already starting to include people that maybe don't always consider themselves a multi-hyphen or, or wouldn't know what that term was and wouldn't have categorized themselves as a multi-hyphenate. But through Kate's wisdom and that conversation, I'm hoping more people see that they absolutely are. Often your waiter is doing many other things to make money. Often the general manager of a restaurant has aspirations that exceed the position that they're in. And it was neat to hear that firsthand from somebody. And then like you said, also kind of let it reverberate in my own career as I have been a waitress and a hostess and a bartender. No, that's a lie. I wish a bartender. I meant a busser. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I I really, really thought that that was, that's important. And that's a big goal of the whole pod is just to start reaching other spaces with conversation. And then I think the whiteness of wellness was another area that I personally was really excited for us to venture into. It's tough to talk about race. It's tough to talk about prejudices or scope, especially when you're limited by your own personal scope. Um, I'm a white woman. I I know I mentioned it earlier, but I am. So (laughs) I'm very limited. (laughs) You can't tell by our voices. We are super white. (laughs) No, but you're, you're right. You and Catherine and I have had so many conversations with like off of our recording time when we are talking about how to bring in other people's voices and how to make sure that even though we are mostly the majority that, you know, everybody has a space to be heard through us if we can make that happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a piece to this that Kate sort of unlocked for us. So Kate's a white woman too. There's no getting around that either, but she is super saturated in wellness and aware of the limitations of how, especially an industry like that, which I think it has parallels to multi-hyphenism can be prescribing and offering solutions while at the same time, really confining itself to the ultra wealthy or the women, men who have lots of time to dedicate to meditating or yoga or journaling or, and what she's doing, the work she, that, that spoke to me in a way that I was surprised was the work she's doing to kind of pop open that oyster and, and give those pearls to way more people offer wisdom beyond the, you know, have a spa day and sound bath, I think is like a literal (laughs) quote from her and like understanding that that's not, something a wage worker may have access to on the regular or even know about or care about. Maybe culturally that's super like, doesn't even appeal. And so I think when we left that conversation, we feel even more empowered, like you're saying, to seek opportunities to ensure that we're not only aware of our own kind of blind spots, but also make sure that the listeners are gaining insight into places and spaces that we don't necessarily see, but we want our guests to reveal to us or enlighten us in. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm really happy that we have the opportunity to bring on guests who can share other points of view that 
we aren't seeing or haven't been able to see ourselves. Because I mean, I, I personally have spent a ton of time in therapy and I have done the meditation thing and I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. <laughs> I keep telling everybody, but you know, uh, uh, those are things that I have taken for granted and haven't really put the thought into. There are people all over who don't have the access or don't have the resources or don't have the time. And we have to have a conversation where we're framing wellness and work-life balance in a way that's digestible and that is fair to people who need it just as much as someone who can, you know, spend a thousand bucks on an ayahuasca trip, Woo! which could be great. I wouldn't know. Hashtag life gold. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, I think that is exactly the point of like what really continues to inspire me for our continued conversations is the idea that we're exploring territories that we're really living and loving and are you know, literally blood, sweat, and tears. We're pouring it all into being a multi-hyphenate. But I also think the term itself and the inspiration for the podcast was realizing how closed this term had been for so long. And yet how reality is so clearly the opposite. You know, people don't know what a multi-hyphenate is necessarily, or they don't identify, or they aren't sure how to communicate what they're doing when they're multi-passionate. But on the other hand, so many more people are multi-passionate these days. So many more people are working in two or three different fields or working four different jobs at a time to pay bills and to really start making sure that the umbrella of multi-hyphenate is inclusive to those voices, those experiences. And I think in the end, enriching a whole knowledge of what is the economy today? Why? Why are we being forced to do this? What's the beauty of it as well? I know we've already talked about like tricks and again, downsides, traps. We've talked about feeling like an imposter, but knowing that you're actually gaining like these amazing skills. And I think Kate really was able to touch on all those places, but also open up the conversation into the hospitality world and the wellness world and start including those sort of buzzwords or industries in this conversation of multi-hyphenism. So we thought that it would be fun to do a little quick segment here at the end, since Mallory and I both have extensive histories in the service industry. We thought we'd share a couple fun little horror stories from our time working. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, I'm almost stunned silent because it's so many while also knowing that I loved almost every second of the, my time there. And I still honest to goodness work in the service industry. It feels like every other month, but Austin, what was your horror story? I think the one that comes to mind is that I worked at a popular casual dining eatery that I won't name. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) it's not on my LinkedIn. And (laughs) when I worked there, There was a gentleman who came in every single day. He came in like for dinner around six or seven every single night that I worked there for two years. And he was super friendly with everybody, which was fine at first. And then it definitely started to take a very strange turn. He bought 
Like he bought high heels for all of the girls who work there. Oh my god, wait, he bought them shoes? Yeah, he bought them oh. shoes for for him to see them wear. Which oh my god. You can imagine is We'll just say it wasn't Hooters. Let's just get that off the table. No. You weren't you weren't. I there, didn't work at Hooters. So <laughs> if I remember correctly, they actually wear tennis shoes at Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never been to a Hooters, so I wouldn't I think know. I went once. They wear tennis shoes and, like, rolled down, like, sports socks and very thick, like, like pantyhose with the short shorts, which is oh. a, a strange choice. Sounds like a hard time to go to the bathroom there. <laughs> so many layers. <laughs> Sounds like a big break. <laughs> eh. What's your horror story? A prejudgment story, maybe, where... I was working as a manager, like it was actually really recently. So it was during the pandemic and it was a really busy lunch. And I was trying to get my bearings and get everybody to their tables and a table in an orderly fashion, but also managing kind of the new circumstances that we're all experiencing if and when we go out to eat, which is distance and, you know, clean, extra, extra clean tables that people seem somehow not to understand that it takes time to do that for you. And I had these women that walked in and they were all wearing one, uh, a certain political persuasion on their mask. And it was not my political persuasion. So, you know, I was clocking them immediately judging these blonde, blue eyed women, and they couldn't have been more pleasant. So that's, what starts, you know, kind of me off of feeling a little guilty in my heart of feeling like, oh gosh, and finally get them to the table. They're a larger group and we seat them and they have a great time. And then as they were leaving, you know, we wave goodbye and I end up talking to the server who was waiting on their table and they had tipped the two service people that were taking care of them $400 Whoa. on I know on not something that was, you know, didn't need that type of a tip. So I guess it's like this combined horror and happy story where just in all this madness and all this chaos of feeling like we're on polar opposite ends of a planet, polar opposite worlds. It was a really good reminder that like there certainly was enough reason for me to think I wasn't going to like or agree with these people. And I probably wouldn't agree with them on a lot but they were good people. And it was definitely during a time where it felt so valuable to have somebody investing in the work and service of people in a restaurant, just because those are frontline workers for sure. Everyone in hospitality right now is putting a lot on the line to go to work. And people who generally avoid paying taxes have more money for tipping their servers. (laughs) (laughs) I hope. Well, these two, yeah. We all hope. We all hope. And also just tip your servers, guys. If we're to sum up anything, don't buy them high heels. Do tip them well. Let them go buy their own heels. Amen. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Austin, for being my buddy on this episode. And as we mentioned, Catherine will be back next week. But with that, we've reached the end. And so please remember to subscribe and rate the podcast where on whichever platform you're listening and follow our story at blood sweat careers on Instagram and on Facebook. We're in both places now. We're everywhere now. Thank you guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.